headed out. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, Jackson Feltz returns from Sounders Weekly on 93.3 FM KJR Seattle Sports Radio to help us get ready for our game versus the Sounders. As always, I'm Jonathan Reimer, joined this evening by none other than Christopher Sines. Good evening, sir, and welcome. What's going on, Black and Gold Faithful? Happy to be back. Another two victories. We did have that midweek match in Costa Rica. We're going to be diving right into that. And of course, we had our victory over the New England Revolution with the return of the star man himself. Jonathan, how are you feeling, my man? You ready to talk some footy? Bro, I'm so ready. I think first and foremost, I should apologize to the fans for being wrong. I was I was very wrong about how the game would go this weekend. I broke out of my norm and I picked that we were going to lose. And not only did we win, we won demonstratively throughout the course of the week, in fact. So why don't we go ahead and go ahead start with our CCL match down in Costa Rica versus Alajuelense, where we ended up pulling out a 3-0 victory. Dolo puts the A squad out. The A squad had some early misses. Buwanga, a tap-in that he just missed. Vela had some big opportunities there in the first half. We go into the half, nil-nil. Second half, Denny Buwanga throws this team on his back and nets himself a second-half hat trick. 47th minute assisted by Vela. 70th minute assisted by Ryan Hollingshead. And in the 89th minute, put a seal on it with an absolute banger assisted by Ilya Sanchez. We saw great performances from Tillman, Buke, Palencia, even an Eric Duenas sighting. Chris, what were your thoughts on the game down in Costa Rica? It was awesome to see this active support, seeing the 3252 going out and doing the march to the stadium, the people that were doing the Instagram lives, the footage, the the media team from LAFC and all of the content that they've put out. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. I definitely think that the team came out and made a statement. It is going to be something that I hope carries over into the match this upcoming week on Wednesday. And I definitely do not want to see LAFC take their foot off of the gas. I want them to go out and pretend that we are at a nil-nil or even a a down 1-0 in the aggregate just because I want LAFC to come out and fire on all cylinders. Now, I do anticipate that the roster is going to be a little rotated, but I still want to see LAFC come out and have another dominant performance like they did in Costa Rica. Dominant performance. Just wall-to-wall. I mean, keeping a clean sheet at the back with Johnny Mack, fantastic. He made a highlight reel save to keep it that way. Brilliant performance from him. After I think we and and many of the other media outlets were a little down on him after the first game of the season where he had had a couple errors coming out. He has really stepped it up this past week. His performance is stellar with back-to-back clean sheets. Loved what I saw from J-Mack. The entire field of players top to bottom, all had Champions League caliber performance games. And that is not something we typically say about MLS or even Team USA when they head down to places like Costa Rica. So hats off to the team. Phenomenal performance top to bottom. And while I am giving out accolades, we would be remiss if we did not go back and highlight our previous guest and talk about the work that Carlos Aguirre and the folks at Global Diplomatic did while down in Costa Rica. A lot of planning. They bit off a lot, 
and they were able to execute on every single thing that they had planned. Once again, they had customs issues getting into the country. They had one customs officer that insisted he be paid in order for the product to get into their country. They had to go around, work with local supporters and the local team to get all the donated items freed up. Somebody, I believe, from the Empire Boys came out and foot the bill for that to make it happen. So, I mean, once again, the community just rallying behind it. But not only did they execute on everything they had planned, but even more than that, we're talking about tickets to the match for each one of these girls that were in attendance. You know, once again, like we talked about in Leon, they've supported this team their whole life, never had a chance to go to a stadium that they live less than a mile from. The fact that these girls got to attend a TCL game, they were donated toys, dolls, clothing, shoes, jackets, bedding, towels, bathroom products, food, water, SG scarves, soccer balls, cleats. They got cake. They got candy. They got a clown. They got a dancing show. I mean, Max Kripo showed up with a ton of LAFC branded soccer balls and gave them all out. Ilya Sanchez donated his MLS finals worn jersey and another game-worn jersey from the playoffs to help benefit the proceeds down there. And most importantly, through the money raised through the black and gold community, they were able to increase the capacity of this center permanently by over 30% with all the beds, bedding, mattresses, pillows that they were able to donate while they were down there. This facility is now going to be able to take a third more girls off the streets and permanently into this home. Wow. Way to knock it out of the park, Carlos. Hats off to everybody at Global Diplomatic. You deserve every bit of the shout out for making this happen and continuing to execute programs like this year in and year out whenever LEFC is on the road. And it is truly impressive the force for good that Global Diplomatic was. I'm frustrated that this isn't getting talked about. Like, where are the folks at the Cooligans? Where are the folks at Extra Time? Where is the LA Times? Where are all the people that cover domestic soccer? I mean, this is a story you think would be heartwarming for anyone to hear, and yet no one is talking about it. And it just, it blows my mind that there aren't people out there talking about Carlos as being one of those MLS Humanitarian of the Year recipient, potentially. I mean, I certainly think he has earned the honor of being nominated by LAFC at this point. And I'm just astonished that there isn't a little bit more publicity about it. But Chris, any thoughts on the charitable efforts, the 3252 in collaboration with Global Diplomatic executed south of the border? Just like you said, you know, you've paid him high praise and it's very well deserved. Carlos and his father and the 3252 and all the work that they've done for the community when they do these away days is trying to leave this environment and the community that they're in a better place when they left it than when they arrived. And this is definitely by doing some of that work. You can't say enough good things about Carlos and Global Diplomatic and for the 3252 to be supporting him in the way that they do. Truly amazing stuff. Increase the capacity of the center by over 30%, permanently changing the lives of, you know, people in a foreign country that just, it blows my mind. So hats off to him. Sorry, Chris, you were saying. No, I was just saying, you know, in addition to all of that stuff, you know, for the players to also come in and do what they can to try and support this initiative. It just also goes to show the level of character that we have as a club with the players that we have in place. And John Thornton has always said that the character of the individual is so much more important than the talent that they have on the field. And it just goes to show when you have people in our locker room like Ilya and Max that are willing to donate personal items so that they can help fund this effort. It's it's pretty amazing. 
truly hats off to everyone at LAFC. We know there was a lot of work uh, from Alajuelense as well, too, as their supporters, La Dose, were certainly involved heavily as well. So both franchises, both franchises, supporter groups, I mean, everyone, just amazing work all around. Job's not done. Uh, we got a massive game coming up midweek to seal out the job versus them. I think you and I both anticipate a heavily rotated squad for that. Probably the B team going to get the start, seeing as how we already have the 3-0 lead. I think if the game gets dicey and Alajuelense starts fighting their way back into it, then we'll probably see the first team come back out to see it through. But we've created such a lead that we really don't need to throw a whole lot at it this Wednesday. But will it be fun to be back at the bank for some CCL magic? I mean, shoot, last time we had a CCL game at the bank, it was a pretty fun one. So I'm I'm certainly looking forward to this one midweek. Yeah, but let's not forget, too, back at the time when we did have that game at the bank, we were the ones that were down 2-0 in an aggregate score against a giant like Leon. So I definitely don't want LAFC to take this opponent lightly. Even though we have this 3-0 lead on aggregate, it's definitely one of those things where we don't want to let the reverse fate happen. But, I mean, three away goals, that's going to be really hard for them to overcome. They have to score four goals in this game. So, I mean, literally, we could just bunker down and probably keep them from scoring four goals. I, I think we have that in the locker. But, folks, we'll see. Why don't we go ahead and move on to the next landslide victory for the black and gold. Most of the goals come in a little bit late, but at the end of the day, when you're looking at a 4-0 score line, good stuff. So LAFC defeat the New England Revolution 4-0 before the game, the most touching moment that I really wish had been more heavily publicized that it was going to happen and at a specific time so fans could be there to show the star man some love, but... About 20, 30 minutes before kickoff, Latif Blessing gets himself a ceremony on the field, got himself a ring presented by John Thornton. Just Latif, you know, we love you. We miss you. Arguably, you you did us a solid in this game as well, too. So thank you for that tongue in cheek. But uh, we love and miss ourselves some Latif. However, I think we saw in his replacement something we've never really seen from Latif blessing, perhaps in the performance of one Timothy Tillman, but we'll get to that in just a moment. He certainly earned a penalty early along in the game when Palencia fired a ball that came in across the front of goal, sort of deflects out to Tillman kind of dekes his way inward. And as he's moving back towards the center, gets a, a leg dragged in front of him. He goes down, albeit somewhat easily, but there was contact nonetheless piece of cake for the ref to point to the spot. And for the first time, in an MLS regular season competition, that is, Danny Bawanga steps up to fire a penalty. Now, we saw him put one home quite authoritatively in the MLS Cup Finals penalty shootout, and it seems to be his M.O. because he fired this one with some vinegar behind it, straight down the middle, top bins, absolutely nothing. Their electric goalkeeper, my goodness, that kid had himself a game, could do about it. We find ourselves up one to nil. We saw some pretty wholesale changes. Harkening back to last year, once again, it seems like whenever the B squad starts, it's the A squad that ends up getting rotated in at the end of that game. So we see Vela, Ilya, Hollingshead all come into the game. We then get a beautiful dime from Sifu over the top to Bawanga, who fired one home. Timothy Tillman strips Latif Blessing, absolutely pulled his pants down, snicked a ball off him, and he fired one home. That put us up 3-0. And then, of course, we have Hollingshead's injury to talk about. Stipe Buke finally opening his LAFC scoring account late in the game. And as great as the win was, as nice as it was to see the boys come out and 
and win against a team that had not given up a goal all season and to do so demonstratively. But I am very worried about Ryan Hollingshead. Chris, I don't know if you have heard any of the eyewitness reports from the people who were near him on the pitch, but there are multiple people saying that he was complaining about fluid in his lungs, that he was coughing up blood on the pitch. These are unconfirmed reports from fans by the sideline, but I believe these people when they say they heard these things coming out of Ryan's mouth. We saw medical staff checking in his throat with a flashlight. We saw the team doctor when he came to the sideline pointing to his chest and saying, I'm taking him out. We saw him go straight into the locker room. It is not looking good for Ryan's Hollingshead. What are your thoughts on the injury? And are you as concerned as I am, especially with Dolo and post-match saying it's, quote, not good? I do think that it, we are not going to see Ryan Hollingshead being in able to suit up for some time. Who knows how long, right? An injury like this, you have to take precautions as they need to be. But the whole notion of the coach coming out and saying he is not doing too well, that is not normally the type of response that you hear unless it really is like an injury that is of a big concern. So, you know, a lot of times I think that coaches might try to be a little hush-hush about what the actual true diagnosis or severity of the injury is. But for him to be able to say within a short period of time, because the injury came in fairly late in the match and the interview with Dolo was maybe within 15, 20 minutes of the end of the game, for him to be able at that point in time to come out and say he does not look like he's doing that well, there had to have been some type of confirmation of, of news that is probably not what we want to hear. Dark situation. Wishing Ryan Hollingshead all the best. He has been electric in every game since he debuted for this club. A linchpin on the back line. Hopefully, it's a very speedy recovery. You know, minute damage to the lungs like that can heal in a couple weeks. Whether or not he's match fit could be out upwards of a month, month and a half if it's something pretty gnarly. Could just be a few weeks if it's something not so gnarly. But it definitely, by all accounts from the people who saw him leave the field, it looked pretty gnarly, and that's just that's just ugly. Not something uh, we want to speculate too far on. I mean, aside from just give you what we've heard from boots on the ground, it's uh, oof, not looking good. But the result in the game certainly was. Let's be honest. A lot of the talking heads across the MLS were touting the Revs as having one of the best defenses in MLS. To be able to go out there and absolutely destroy them in the manner that we did has got to be a profound statement about this LAFC club is this LAFC club even better than it was last year is already something that the likes of Taylor Twelman are talking about it just it's a demonstrative win against a very big team do you have any thoughts on the manner in which we smoked the revs absolutely I think that there was a moment in the game that I would like to touch on and it is very much very much so one of those things that you don't ever see really this type of youthful playing, right? But Denny Buwanga and Kellen Acosta at one point when there was a foul outside the box, they were doing a Rochambeau or a rock, paper, scissors or Kai by bowl, however you want to call it. They were doing a rock, paper, scissors contest to see who gets to take the free kick. And Denny Buwanga won paper over rock. And you could see as Kellen Acosta walked away, he bit his lip in frustration. Now, was this planned? Was this something that 
you know, was it an actual scenario where really Denny Bongo was going to take it, whether or not he won, who knows? But the fact is, is that for them to take a moment and to have that little bit of like fun, you know, I have to say Bob Victimilia, who is our friend from I-80 Sports, said it very, very eloquently in social media. He goes, you never want to see that because that means one team is doing really, really well and one team is doing really, really bad. In this case, New England was doing really, really bad for the LAFC players to come out and have that time in the sense to think like, hey, let's have some fun with the situation. It really was one of those things where LAFC was in the driver's seat for sure. I was dying laughing when I saw it. Dying. That is such a cheeky outhousery uh, to do that right in front of the opponent. If it was staged, I almost like it more. If it's truly how they decided who was going to take that shot, I find that I mean, there's the shades of a lack of professionalism there. You would think that these things are already clearly decided before they go into it. I think somebody on Twitter mentioned that like Acosta in some ancient language means rock and Buanga must have known that and must have known that that meant Acosta was going rock because that's his namesake and was was thinking that far ahead to go paper. I love how far deep down the rabbit hole the fans have gone with this. I think it was coordinated and planned for them to do it. I think they already knew Buwanga was going to take it, but there's probably a gray area, right? If you're close enough on goal to shoot, it's probably going to be Denis. If it's far enough out where you're going to, you know, try and play the ball in, it's probably Acosta. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's how they decided it, but I, I'd like to think that this was planned ahead of time just to mess with the heads. And Buwanga almost put that one home. I mean, it rang off the post and... Gosh, it would have been so much better, the story around this whole incident, if he'd have sunk that thing. Because then the Rochambeau goal would have lived on forever. Right, absolutely. That's that. That's the only thing that could have made this whole thing that much better, was if Denny Bowongo would have put it away. And like I said, then it would have been coined the Rochambeau goal, and it would have lived in LAFC lore and infamy forever. Aaron Long had a pretty good game in defense. Um, a lot of people have complained about his passing, and he had a couple errant passes that were... A little unfortunate in this game, but defensively, I mean, he's a hands-on, literally in most cases, bulky defender that that gets the job done back there. I remember there was one time he was just passing it out wide to the right, and there was no one in between him and the player. He could have just put it on the deck, but instead he decided to sky the pass and ended up hitting it so long it went out of bounds. So, I mean, there's definitely some moments where I can see people's frustration with his passing, but I thought as just a serviceable defender as a you know, really a backup center back for this team behind Chiellini. We got a really good replacement there. Speaking of where we have a phenomenal replacement, though, is in the midfield. Timothy Tillman, mein Gott, he had himself a heck of a game. The German-American dual national. I mean, I, I could have swore that was his brother out there, the level that he was playing. Netted himself a goal, was a dominant force in the midfield. And I'm starting to think that that seafood departure that could be coming this summer might not be such a hard pill to swallow. Chris, your thoughts? I definitely think that Tillman has come out and shown that he has an ability to play and play at our level without a misstep. There is not really this lower tiered ability coming off of the bench. And ultimately that's what you love to see is the depth that is able to be inputted in and seamlessly be able to transition from one player's skill set to the other. We all know that Sifu is not going to be with us for the long haul. He is a short timer. He's here for a short time and a good time. With that being said, Tillman is definitely someone that I could see being the service role replacement. And it's exciting to see. 
I loved Stipe Buke up top. I think you can see that there is a lot of talent and a lot of technical ability there. There's still a little bit of an understanding between him and Opoku that needs to develop with the two of them. When Carlos Vela came in, the whole front seemed to calm down a little bit and people sort of understood their roles a little bit better. The combination of Buke, Opoku, and Buwanga, you could just tell there were some times they weren't on the same page. I expect that to happen early in the season. I don't expect it to yield 4-0 results against a really good team. So, I mean, if those are our growing pains and we're still winning 4-0, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we're seeing from this team. All of the substitutions that came in, even Maldonado, who came in late, did fantastic. He had a lot of aerial presence that was really formidable when he came in. He shortly thereafter had to go over and substitute in at right back. So whether or not he could potentially be used there in the future is going to be something we'll see. But him as an aerial threat and his technical ability, he looked like he checked all the boxes as well, too. This is just a deep, deep roster this year, and I have far more confidence in it than I did a month ago when these players had just arrived. They have all lived up to the billing swimmingly. And I think this game was a, a glaring example of that. Any final thoughts on the game before we move on to the big news that dropped today, my friend? No, I think that we've definitely gone over this game well enough. But speaking of the big news, right? You know, I love recording on Mondays, right? Did, didn't we have a problem recording on Mondays because news always dropped on Tuesdays? It looks like we've been doing pretty well on Mondays lately. FC Bayern Munich has made an agreement with LAFC. It is called the Red and Gold Football. FC Bayern and LAFC today have announced the Global Partnership Development Cooperation named Red and Gold Football, which will provide a platform for young talent featuring high-level development and a pathway to first-team soccer. The initiative sees the European powerhouse and reigning MLS champions set up a joint venture based in Munich. FC Bayern and LAFC each own 50% of the shares. The joint venture envisions further cooperation from other clubs and the development academies throughout the world as part of a global development initiative. I think that this is something that you're going to start seeing more and more of. Not because clubs are in positions to buy other clubs and have these pathways of the filter stepping stone clubs that lead ultimately to European clubs. This is a way for them to have partnerships and it could actually be a lot of fun. Now, I think there's still a lot of questions and I think that there's a lot of people that aren't exactly sure how this is going to work out. And if Bayern is just going to be poaching a bunch of our players, but it's exciting to know that there is teams in Europe that are looking to have a cooperative agreement with us and we are now going to be able to have a pathway to help our players develop and move on there's a lot to unpack in that statement there's a lot of really fancy jargon being used what we do not get in any of that is some real specifics on how this partnership is going to work out now i understand fans who are apprehensive about byron as you put it chris poaching our players but Let's be honest. If there's a player on our team that is good enough to play for Bayern München and we send that player over there, that's pretty darn good PR for the black and gold if the likes of Bayern are able to get players from LAFC. And what I am more excited about and what I think people are forgetting when they make that assumption is think of all the players that are in the best academy in Germany that are just not good enough 
to make the squad at Bayern München. All of those players are now going to be funneled towards places like LAFC. And if it means trading a player who's good enough to play for Bayern to Bayern, in exchange for all of the players that are just not good enough for Bayern to have LAFC as their primary option, I think we have already seen what the likes of second division German talent is in this league. Just look at the players we have on our roster right now. We got Timothy Tillman from a Schweizer Bundesliga team. We're talking about second tier Germany. And he absolutely tore it up so far in his debut for the black and gold. I think this is a win for LAFC in the long run. Plus, Bayern has one of the greatest, most prestigious academies in the world. They are right up there with Barcelona as the best of the best. If this means that the LA Academy is going to get an opportunity to tap into the knowledge and experience within that core of training in Germany, wow, this could pay dividends massively for those young players coming up in the Southern California area. But I digress a little bit. Let's go ahead and say a few words on behalf of both clubs here, because I think there's some pieces in that as well, too. So John Thorrington called a partnership of this magnitude the next step in the evolution of LAFC as a club. Extremely excited to work with Bayern, identify and develop young talent in Southern California and beyond. And this relationship will provide players throughout our system the ability to maximize their potential and see a clear pathway to first-team football. Those are a lot, again, of interesting phrases to unpack there. But develop young talent. If Bayern's going to help us develop our young talent, and that's what I'm reading in that statement, that's some pretty good stuff. From the Bayern half of things, this will expand its promotion of young talent to within LAFC. On an international level, they are trying to help develop soccer at a faster rate than they believe the United States would do on its own organically. Bringing in the experience of one of the greatest franchises in European soccer, and certainly one of the greatest academies in European soccer. They highlighted the fact that the 2026 World Cup is going to take place here in the United States, and they want to be at the forefront of all the things happening in the United States with soccer, and they believe that this is going to be a positive thing for them as well, too. If the game develops further in the United States, that's more eyes and ears on their brand and more potential ability for them to harvest players from the United States as well, too. So, Chris, I mean, that's a lot, brother. This is a huge bombshell to drop. What do you think this means for the LAFC Academy and how is this going to affect the first team? You know, I... I'm not sure how it's going to affect the academy. I think that for the first team, you're going to see players with a clearer opportunity and a less convoluted pathway. The transfer market is no longer going to be the number one way for a player to look to get to play in Europe. I think that having this partnership, a player now, if they are interested in going into play in Europe they would look to maybe focus on trying to get an opportunity with Bayern as opposed to trying to get a, a transfer on the open market. And as for our academy, I, I think that when you do look at the pedigree of the ability to develop talent in the academy at in, in Munich, that there is a lot that we as a younger club can learn from. So I think that our academy will benefit from some of that tutelage and knowledge 
that hopefully can be passed over to us and, and our players will benefit from them in, in the long haul. You know, I, I also think that this might be something similar to how NYCFC and Man City have a relationship. I would like to, because that's one of the few examples that we have, or if it's like Leipzig and uh, Salzburg, how they have a rela- the and they have a relationship. Well, I think there's a there's a subtle difference there in that those are the same ownership groups, right? I mean, NYCFC is is owned by Manchester City. I mean, Red Bull, New Jersey, they're owned by Red Bull. I mean, so I think that's a little different in this case. I don't feel like Bayern Munich came out and purchased LAFC, right? A, a Bayern did have a partnership with FC Dallas and helped them build their academy a few years back. So I, I think this is going to play out fairly similarly but where Dallas maybe didn't have the resources or the talent pool that Los Angeles and California does in this case, looks like Bayern has kind of shifted their allegiances from Dallas to California. I think there was a very interesting statement put out by Bayern's chief sports officer who said that this cooperation gives them the chance to develop talent internationally within their own system, implying that the system that LAFC is going to now be implementing is going to be the Bayern system. And I think this has to do with a lot of the fact that Dolo comes from having played in Germany and got his coaching license primarily in Germany, and that a lot of his fundamental ideas about the game of football are very similar to the Germanic Das Reboot method of how they're going about things. So I I think the implementation of Germanic ideology in football with regards to how we've already built this current Chirondolo era team is now going to be proliferated all the way down to our academy with the greatest academy in the world at teaching that particular style of football joining in. It seems like an all out positive for me, even if we do end up losing some very high end talent in the long run, I still think this means we're going to be have access to a significant talent pool within Germany that was just not good enough for the first team at Bayern. You talk about Bayern moving allegiances from FC Dallas to Los Angeles. Did LAFC move allegiances from Borussia Dortmund to Bayern Munich? And here is the real bone of contention, something to which I have already seen a lot of fans irate about. From day one, when it came to German football, LAFC have been Dortmund. It, we've been one and one. Dortmund sent over the you know the famous sign to wish us well in our first ever playoff game. There was a lot of collaborative effort between both the fan bases and the front offices early on. And frankly, a lot of people came to LAFC that were Dortmund fans. And so there are a lot of people, and, and believe me, I've talked to a few of them in, in the German-American community right now that are really, really ticked off. Because if, you know, these are bitter, bitter rivals. Dortmund and Bayern are, you know, the the rivalry. I mean, that is the Yankees-Red Sox of, of German football. And it's it's a bold move by LAFC to cut ties with Dortmund and establish ties with Bayern after five years of having a friendly relationship with Dortmund. It's it's going to be a little awkward. And, and Olaf, buddy, we're sorry. Uh, we didn't know anything about this before it happened. But I know a lot of people that became LAFC fans because of the connection to Dortmund. And those people five years later are having a real hard time swallowing this pill. It's definitely something interesting to see. But in hindsight, does this mean that we might get a friendly over the summer against Bayern? 
all I care is, does it mean potentially Thomas Muller will suit up for the black and gold? Because the day that happens will be the day you can go ahead and throw me in my casket. I'll die happy when Thomas Muller suits up for the black and gold. And that's that's all I care about. If he comes out and plays a friendly here, next best thing. Either way, it's, you know, partnerships, I think, are going to come and go. This isn't going to be the first time that a club makes a partnership with another club, whether it be in South America or in Europe or in Asia or in Africa, for that matter. But it's just I think that these partnerships are going to become more common than they are scarce. And I don't think that this is going to be the first time that a a partnership will be shifted from one team to another. And those teams may be rivals of some sort. You know, one thing I'll say about Dortmund, I mean, did we ever have any impact on our team or our academy from Dortmund? I mean, you could say there was an impact in the stands, the yellow wall helping out the 3252 and some of the things that they do. Although if you speak to members of the 3252, it was a great trip. But, you know, most of what they saw over there were things they already knew. But seeing it from some of the best supporters in the world was definitely an educational experience for them. But let's talk about players. Have LAFC ever sent a player to Dortmund? And has Dortmund ever sent a player to LAFC? Has Dortmund ever been involved in the training of our academy or the development of our players to the extent of your knowledge? No. No. Right? So thank you, Dortmund. It was fun being friends, but business has now come along. And someone wants to do business with us that is far more beneficial to the club. And Dortmund's got a great academy. I never heard about a partnership between the two teams ever coming to fruition, not like this. Night. And Bayern is one of the best academies in the world, not just in Europe. And having them help our academy out is only going to be positive things. All right, I think we've waffled on this subject long enough. Why don't we go ahead, take our first break, and we'll be right back with today's opponent correspondent as we trans the conversation over to the Seattle Sounders coming up this weekend. Back in a moment, folks. This is Dan Smith. Coming live and direct, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week is Jackson Feltz. He is the host of Sounders Weekly on 93.3 FM KJR Seattle Sports Radio. Please give him a follow at Jackson B. Feltz. Jackson, welcome back to the show. How you been, sir? Good, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be with you. So, Jackson, we're going to get right into it. We're going to talk a little bit about the offseason. Obviously, with Seattle winning... The Conca Champions League, you guys earned your way into the FIFA Club World Cup. You played your first match on the 4th of February, and it was not a match that played out in your favor. At the near the end of the match, in the 88th minute, there was a goal that came in. How was the Seattle faithful feeling about how Seattle performed in that match? And how did they feel, you know, obviously with the result? And were they still, were there the positive takeaways or was it overall sour grapes? lot of positive takeaways. It's just a little bit of frustrating grapes, um, not necessarily sour, because as it worked out, we went into that match kind of as, as the big thing saying, like, all right, like, you know, we're, we're here and we're facing one of the most decorated teams in African history. Um, you know, the, the, the narrative and the talk was play in transition. We know that they may come at us and, you know, we, you know, sit back, take our chances and then play in that transition. And at about the 12 minute mark, you could see a shift where it kind of was just everybody sort of realized on the field. Oh, wait a second we are better than them. We are better than Ali and we can take it to them. 
And it shifted in about the 12th minute. And suddenly the Sounders were on the front foot. They had the possession. They had the chances. And from about the 12-minute mark through, I would say, probably about the 70th minute mark, where I think at the end of the day, there just wasn't enough minutes in the legs. The Sounders had virtually no preseason um, and it showed at about the 70 minute mark that, oh, these guys aren't fully fit. Like they, they don't have 90 minutes in them because it's just so early in the season and they didn't have a preseason, but from like for that 60 minute stretch, basically the Sounders were clearly in a way, the better team, they played better. They were on their game. It was just little bit here and there. And, and again, it all kind of revolves back to no preseason. So you weren't as sharp, but you know, uh, I think it's easy to say that, you know, if they were to play that match this weekend instead of, you know, back when they did, they would have scored in that 60 minute period and they would have won that game. And and pretty easily they were the better team point blank, um, which makes you very encouraged. The frustrating part of it comes with the fact that the goal in the 88th minute was off of a really it was off of bad deflection and it's just a random, random ass deflection after, after a bad giveaway too. So it comes off of a giveaway on a deflection. It wasn't a good goal. It was a really bad goal. And for the Sounders to lose on that, um, it's massively frustrating, but I mean, it's, it's very encouraging in the sense of like, all right. I mean, you look at it really, and the Sounders should have won that match if they had a longer preseason or if they had, you know, just something go in in the first, in that 60 minute span. And then boom, you know, suddenly, you know, we, they're play, playing Real Madrid and that's the mountaintop for MLS is reaching that game. And we're, you know, we were that close. So frustrating, but still encouraging that we were on the world stage. We held our own. We had a great showing. We just got unlucky. And in addition to that news from February, you had some off-season transactions, a few subtractions from your roster. Will Brune and Alfonso Ocampo-Chavez are both to Austin FC because they had their option declined, and also defender Jimmy Medranda to Columbus Crew, who also had his option declined. Talk to us about those departures, and if those are, obviously Will Brune is a household name for Seattle, but do those players leave gaps that need to be filled? So Will Bruin, not necessarily because of the addition to a bear. I'm sure we'll talk about a bear in, in a moment. Um, and, and a bear, I think is a massive upgrade from Will Bruin. Not that Will Bruin is a, a bad player or anything, but in a sense that a bear is a, a player very much like Rudy as we'll talk about that in a moment. So uh, while Will Bruin, I think they'll miss him in the locker room. He was a great guy and a big part of that locker room. Really, really good person. I always love talking with him. Always remember after 2019 MLS cup, I'm at the team's uh, victory party at a um, at a hotel across the street from Lumen Field, and I'm in line to get another drink. And there's Will Bruin, and I spend five minutes chatting with him in line, waiting for a drink. And um, just you know, one of the most awesome people you could ever hope to be around. Um, but I think I think this team needed a a backup forward more like a bear than Will Bruin. So. I'm not there. Alfonso Combo Chavez, really talented player at the MLS next pro level. Not sure he had a future in Seattle um, with the Sounders. Um, but the big loss, I think, is is Jimmy Madronda because the Sounders are now in this kind of system where, you know, they, they swing their, and this is Brian Schmetzer's system, where they swing their fullbacks high and they really attack with their fullbacks. Um, we've seen it with Nuhu in the past. You're seeing it way more with Alex Roldan on the right side this year. Um, Jim Madronda was a true attacking left back, and he was really good at it. 
Um, and he could play the left wing back spot, um, really versatile player who had a lot of, uh, a, a lot of talent. Um, I think the Sounders are missing that backup left back who can do a lot of things and have a lot of versatility with Madronda. So they're missing him and they're making up for it with a, a new little wrinkle and new little scheme that they're running. Um, but, uh, but yeah, overall, uh, when you kind of add in total the additions in a bear to the subtractions and the few you mentioned, um, I'm, I, I think the addition outweighs the subtractions. Absolutely. And just for the LAFC faithful, the Seattle Sounders had acquired a bear from NYCFC for $400,000 in GAM, general allocation money. And other than a bear, there was also the addition of two homegrown signings, Soto Kitahara, who is a forward and Jacob Castro. It's always good to see your homegrown talent eventually signed for the primary roster. You know, here at LAFC, we're looking forward to seeing that of Nathan Ordaz and uh, Eric Duenas and Tony Leone and players like that. So I'm sure that those are exciting things for you as a Seattle fan too. Yeah, so to Kiyahara, midfielder, talented young kid. We'll see how he develops. And then Castro, I know he's a, he's a goalkeeper that uh, the club really likes. And, you know, it's sort of, a, there's, the, there's the fun question of in Seattle, of Stefan Fry gets to play for as long as Stefan Fry wants to play. So uh, that goalkeeper position is kind of locked down until Stefan Fry says no, it isn't. So, um, yeah, so Castro kind of, we'll see how he develops as well. I mean, when you have a legend like Fry in goal, you're going to keep him there. Uh, Abair been suffering from a little bit of a bum hammy lately. Is he still out? Yeah, he is. Uh, he suffered that in training uh, a week ago and um, saw him go down in training, saw him walk off about 10 minutes into a training. And, uh, and that was that was right after I pulled up to Starfire where they practice. And it was just sort of like. Oh boy, <laughs> you know, like Raul's getting back from his injury, and now here we go again. Another forward goes down, but he'll be out two to four weeks, or I guess now uh, one to three weeks from right now. Um, so you know, we'll see how long a bear needs to to recoup here. But the good news is that Raul Ruiz Diaz is healthy. Um, he played um, thirty two plus stoppage which was stoppage stoppage time in their game versus uh cincinnati was 15 minutes so Raul basically played the entire half of soccer um so Raul was good to good to go and he's good to start against lafc uh this coming saturday so that's the good news but we are eager to get uh a bear back healthy so let's talk about the season so far you started off two wins and a loss six points currently sitting in third place first two games of the season gangbusters go out back to back clean sheets you win four nil you win two nil versus the likes of Colorado and RSL things are looking good and then you run into FC Cincinnati and you, you take the 0-1 loss and I guess at the end of the day look Brenner that guy pretty good right but what are your thoughts on the team so far this year i think they've been good i think that you know you're right they went up against a very very good cincinnati team I and mean, that's a team that could challenge for the top of the eastern conference they had that trio of, of brenner and vasquez and acosta that's legit that is like i know lafc and you guys know ridiculously talented in the attack but that Cincy team, they can run with you, especially in the attack. And Acosta, he's like, I mean, they list him as like, what, 5'3"? He's like 5'1". <laughs> I mean, he's tiny, but he is so good and technical on the ball. So we ran into a buzzsaw against a very, very good team. And we nearly got the equalizer in the 90th. But Yamar Gomez Andrade, that was a foul um, uh, when when we thought it was going to be an equalizer. So regardless, um we were very close to having a one, one game, but it is a loss. Um, but overall, I mean, you look at the whole picture and the wins against RSL in Colorado, that 180 plus stoppage uh, minutes of action, um, just phenomenal 
just some of the passing that's that's honestly i mean i said it on my sounders weekly show on kjr i think it's the best soccer i've ever seen from founders team ever um passing wise through the midfield into the final third it was ridiculous i mean it's stuff you'd see in the epl i mean they they kind of had this swagger about them of just everything was going to go right we know exactly where the one touch passing is going um the movement we know you know you know eyes in the back of the head sort of stuff it's unbelievable um so they were they were feeling it in, in those two games um and the goals showed six goals in that span um the question is can the Sounders get back to that facing another very, very good attacking team this week? Um, this will be the big measuring stick. Um, you know, road trip to Cincinnati, that was going to be tough. They played a, a little bit differently in the Cincy game than they played in the first two. So if they can get back to the way that they were playing, getting Alex on way high up the field, almost as a, you know, midfielder, right winger, if they can get back to doing that, against LAFC, then this is going to be a very interesting battle. And it will be the measuring stick of, okay, how good is Seattle compared to the elite of the elite of this league right now? So talk to us, you know, you mentioned Bear and his injury. Talk to us about your expected starting 11 that uh, Seattle will put out this weekend. Yep, it's going to be our first choice uh, 11. It's going to be real simple. We'll have Stefan Fry in goal. They'll call this a 4 2 3 one it's really not, and I'll explain that in a moment. Um, your back four has Alex Roldan as the right back, Nuhu as the left back, Jackson Reagan and Yamar Gomez Andrade are your center backs. You'll have uh, this is my best guess because just nobody had, nobody had picked up an injury in Cincinnati, and as long as nobody else does in training, everybody's healthy enough to rock and roll. Um, no fixture congestion should be simple. Uh, holding midfielders: Joao Paulo, Albert Rusnak. You have your attacking mid three of Christian Roldan on the right, Jordan Morris on the left, Nicholas Ladero in the middle, and then Raul Rui Diaz should be starting up top. So it is an outstanding lineup. Now, the trick is, is that Brian Schmetzer, who has normally, you know, the fullbacks get high up the field, both of them, one stays, one goes, that kind of works out that way. Um, Alex Roldan is now acting almost like a right winger. He's getting way up the field, crashing the box. Um, you know, it's it's really amazing. What happens is Alex will get way high up the field and the formation will shift a little bit. So what will happen is Alex and Christian Roldan will create a partnership up on the right. Then you'll have Nico Ladero drift left and he and Jordan are a partnership on the left. And it's uh, JP and Rusnak, uh, Rusnak, who are a partnership with Raul Ruiz Diaz kind of in the middle. And there's these scenes. And then Nuhu will drift in as almost a third center back. And the formation sort of becomes a three at the back. And I don't know, you couldn't even list the numbers, but it's a three at the back because Alex Roldan gets so high up the field. That's when they're in possession. That's when things really start rolling. Um, when... LAFC has the ball, which inevitably that will happen a lot on Saturday. Alex Roldan will run way back down and it will knew who will shift back to the left and it will create a back four. So it's a four, two, three, one that shifts to a back three, just depending on, you know, the, the, the flow of the game, who has the ball, how things are moving. Um, it's an ever changing formation and it can, it, it beat the heck out of Colorado and RSL. They didn't really run it too much against Cincinnati. So it's the big question of do they go right back to that against LAFC or does LAFC just have too much firepower where you can't get that high up the field and you can't leave yourself open with just a back three. 
Well, we know your time is precious this evening. We won't keep you much longer. We have one final question for you. Are you willing to put a prediction on this game, sir? Uh, <laughs> um I'm always going to be an optimist. So I think that Seattle can definitely get a result in this game. LAFC are looking credible. Um, I mean, you guys can answer this. I mean, I got a few extra minutes. So, um, I mean, listen, you have a Champions League match on Wednesday. So what squad, squad rotation do you expect there to be between Wednesday and Saturday? I would anticipate a heavily rotated squad midweek with us already being up 3 nothing. I think you're going to see a lot of the B team start, and then the A team will sub in two-thirds of the way through the game or so just to get some minutes to warm them up for the weekend. That's sort of been Dolo's MO throughout the course of his year and a half with us, is the A team will play two-thirds of the games he's important in, and the B team plays that latter third, and then he'll swap it around when it comes. So I think versus Alajuense in the middle of the week, you're probably going to see B team start a team finish the game to see it out in front of the fans move on to the next round and then come this weekend the a team will be ready to go my prediction I, chris I, I, I really didn't like hearing any of that but that's fine <laughs> uh in that case then i i'll, I'll go two two i mean that's that's my that's my you know listen the lafc look like world beaters right now um i had taylor twelman on my sounders weekly program on kjr and taylor said you know they look like they're playing better than last year um, which is high praise, obviously. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, <laughs> we're against we're against an amazing squad. And if we can get a point out of this one, I know it's a home match, but I'll be happy if we can get a point out of this one. Well, we appreciate you throwing a question at us. I, I love it. That's good stuff there. And uh, I think this match has playoff implications written all over it. So that brings us to our final question. What do you think long-term is going to be the results for Seattle at the end of this year? Do they have what it takes to compete in some of these side competitions? Are they going to be focusing on MLS solely? If they stay healthy, that's the number one key for Seattle, staying healthy. Um, there is a lot of games this year with Leagues Cup, with Open Cup, with everything else. Um, there's a lot of competitions. And if Seattle can stay healthy, they can challenge for the top of the West. I mean, listen, when you go back to 2019, Seattle was not the more talented team in 2019. They had the better game plan. They executed the better game plan. They beat LAFC in Los Angeles 3-1, and they went and won MLS Cup there back in Seattle in 2019. It's a, I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's an exactly similar case this year, but LAFC is ridiculously talented. And if there is another West final where it's Seattle at LA, it'll come down to the game plan, right? At the end of the day, if Seattle's healthy, they can run with anybody. They can beat anybody. Um, but that's the key is staying healthy. And, you know, we've seen, you know, year after year, one guy goes down, whether it was Joao Paulo last year, whether it was, you know, you know, Jordan Morris obviously had his ACL situation a couple ago. So, you know, if, if they can not lose one of those key players, one of those big key guys for the year or for a large stretch, then I think my expectation would be a top three seed in the Western Conference. And you're playing in the West final, maybe at L.A. And, you know, you just throw your hands up and say, you know, if we can pull another miracle, great. And if we can't, then, you know, <laughs> you lose to MLS's best. So that's kind of where my mindset's at right now. But it all revolves back to staying healthy. Well, folks, our opponent correspondent this week triumphantly returning to the podcast has been Jackson Feltz. Please listen to Sounders Weekly on 93.3 FM KJR Seattle. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us, folks. We will be right back with the final segment of today's show after this short break.
This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC. And you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. All right, Chris, we had a great conversation with Jackson Feltz, our friend from up in the greater Seattle area. It is now time to put in some predictions for this game. Of course, we have Alajuelense midweek here. We've already got a 3-0 lead in that game. So as I have already predicted, I think we are going to rotate the B squad in for the Champions League game and put our A squad out when it comes to Seattle this weekend. Do you agree or disagree with those sentiments? I don't really know if we have a B squad right now. I mean, when we look at some of these players that we've rotated in, when we looked at this match this past weekend against the Revolution, it didn't look like any of the players that weren't starters in the original match in Costa Rica were really B players. I think that we're going to come out with a strong rotated lineup that looks similar to what we had against New England, and I think that we are going to save the legs of players like Carlos and Chiellini for the match in Seattle, but I think that we are going to still see a couple of appearances of players that would be starters in the match against Seattle. I think it's going to be exactly the same, like we just saw, where you're going to get players like Stipebuke, Tillman, Maldonado now because of the injury to Hollingshead. You're going to get players like those who get appearances and you might get substitutes in at a later time for players like Carlos Vela and Jose Cifuentes just to give them an opportunity to get some runs in it and get some exercise in. And I think that when it comes time for Seattle, we will see our best starting 11 out there. I also think the Champions League game is more important to LAFC than this game versus Seattle. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the A-team start versus Alajuelense. And if the first half goes according to plan, wholesale changes at the halftime and and the B squad, or maybe we'll call them Team A and Team 1, since you don't feel one of them is worthy of the title of B. We'll call them 1A one, one and 1B. Okay, okay, 1A, 1B. I'm, I'm fine with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if 1A starts and 1B, you know, assuming that first half goes according to plan, you know, comes in and, and just seals the game out. But to be honest, at this point, I find it hard to believe that Alajuelense is going to come to Los Angeles and put four in the net past our defense right now, be it 1A or 1B defense that's out there. And that's just, that's a big ask of a team who couldn't even find one goal at home in front of their own supporters for them to go on the road and put up four. That's, you know, this is very different from the Leon LAFC conversation where we only had to put up three at home, which was still a task to put up three at home. They now have to go put up four on the road. Very, very, very big difference there. I just, to me, the matches for the most part, one, you just got to go out there with a defense oriented squad. That's just going to shut the game down, try and win the game by letting the clock run out and, you know, winning by at least a goal and you've already got a three gold lead. So I, I think, you know, we're going to see the majority of the true talent, the tier one talent of this team go out and take Seattle on, especially because look, Seattle's had a good start to the season. They're starting to get a little big in their britches. They got themselves a CCL trophy of their own. They might want to come in here and be like, well, you didn't really win a true double last year because we put everything in that CCL basket and then had some injuries. So I think it's a statement game in the West here to say, you know, Seattle, that's that's great what you did and all, but uh, we're the new big dogs and we're here to stay. I don't understand why the game is so late. Somebody explain that to me. 8.30 match on a Wednesday night, and it isn't even like, 
the the time frame for the away team is three or four hours ahead of us. So like I don't I don't understand. I mean, I understand night games and I understand the game starting at 730. I don't understand why the game starts at 830. In the words of the famous punk band Bad Religion, television, television, television. I, I think that's that's your answer. It's I it's mean, TV TV time slots. You know, they want a TV time slot. They know that uh, we're gonna you know we're we're gonna show up whether it's one o'clock in the afternoon, nine o'clock at night, doesn't matter. Black and gold will be there. Stadium will be rocking. It's a CCL day. You know, we'll be there. Fans in. You know, uh, it's a rough start time. It is. I mean, we're talking about getting home at midnight, one o'clock for some of us having to go to work the next morning. We'll see I'm, what I'm what I, you know, something I soapboxed about earlier. How many fans are going to stay till the end if the game doesn't get close, especially with us already having a three nil lead on aggregate? I mean, and it if being we sc- wet and it and it potentially raining. I mean, are you going to sit there in the rain if you're a cash and we're up by four or five goals? Let's say we score one or two goals and it's one or two nothing, you know, going into the second half LAFC. I mean, we're sitting there with a four or five goal lead. I have a feeling that stadium's going to empty out pretty early, which is disappointing. But I'll be there and I'll be there for 90 plus. You know it. I'll be singing my lungs out in the north end for some CCL glory. I won't be there. I will be at home watching the game from the comforts of my house because, like you said, getting home at midnight and then I got to get up at four. No. Thank you. Well, Chris, uh, you got some good seats that'll be on the market from what I understand. So, folks, if you're looking for a, a hot ticket, hit up my boy, Chris Signs. Of course, this episode is probably going to come out after the Alajuense game, and so this is all a moot point. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, what I mean was, oh, it was a great game. We smoked him, I hope. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. Seeing as how uh, we're recording on Monday, but this pod probably won't come out until Wednesday. So we'll probably be at the game when this comes out, and so uh, this is all this this whole conversation is irrelevant at this point, my friend. Now, is it is it terrible to look past Alajuense? Alajuense? No, we're up three nothing. Okay, we're up three nothing. So now my next thing is, I think that we're scheduled to play the winner of the Vancouver match. Is going north of the border to play a team in Canada in Conca Champions as big of a deal? as playing a team from Liga Mekis. Who are they up against? They're playing Real España. So if they advance, they're not going to because Vancouver's up 5 nothing on aggregate right now. Right. <laughs> so so right. I would so, say Vancouver is going to go ahead and uh, uh, handle that match. Dude, BCs, let's roll. Middle of winter. Canada. Sounds lovely. Um, a. A. Um, We'll see what this game's all about. Look, let's let's worry about that when we get there. I think you're going to have, you had 500 people go to Costa Rica. I think Vancouver's a little more doable for some people that might have been apprehensive about Costa Rica, but it's also not as sexy as Costa Rica is. So I think as many people as you lose, because it's not a beautiful tropical jungle, you'll gain as many people that feel more comfortable traveling to Canada than did to Costa Rica. So I wouldn't be surprised if you have the same 500-ish show up in Vancouver. Look, CCL is not a guarantee every year, and any chance you can have to go support your team on an away day, north of the border, south of the border, don't matter. Those are precious moments, and I think there's going to be at least 500 people again that take that opportunity, head up to Vancouver, 
enjoy some of that delicious BC Pinot Noir. I mean, I know our friends at the 42 Originals have something else up there I'm sure they'd love to enjoy. So, you know, I, I, I think it'll have a healthy contingent head in that direction as well, too. You know, a couple other things about CCL that are just noteworthy. Tigres and Orlando with a nil-nil draw in Mexico. And now Tigres has to travel to Orlando. And, I mean, we could easily see... Orlando knocking off Tigres. And the other one that is of noteworthy tomorrow, which again, this will be gone after the podcast is released. The Austin FC having to play Violette AC, which apparently had to sign some USL players because they weren't able to fill their roster due to travel visas or whatever kind of restrictions that team had. But they were signing like players from the USL so that they could complete compete in the game. That's going to be really interesting because given the fact that you're bringing in new players who they're probably going to be bench players, but I, I don't think they were able to bring their entire starting 11. The number I heard was 12 people, including coaches that were able to travel. And so that that's quite a few players away from an 18. I don't know what the blend of those 12 people of players to coaches was, but if three of your starting 11 are going to be players that have never played with your team before, that's difficult. Now, obviously, they're probably going to be full bus parked mode with a 3-0 lead. And Austin is going to be throwing the kitchen sink at him trying to get a fourth goal. This game has got must-watch TV written all over it. I mean, theoretically, Austin, you know, sees a, an opponent that, that's only got half their squad. I, they could come back as, as crazy as that would be. What would that mean for Austin if they came back from three goals down on the road and were able to win by four goals at home in order to see this through? Wow, that would be that would be something. Tigres, on the other hand, if they get knocked out by Orlando, they're they're sort of everyone's number one right now with LAFC being number two. That puts us as the odds on favorite. So go Orlando, man. Either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. Go out, watch yourself some of the Gonka Champions League. It is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Or hopefully at this point, you've already watched Champions League. And once again, this whole conversation has been redundant. And I think on that, Chris, we should probably just go ahead and throw our predictions where our pod is and call this a show. So what do you think happens when we head up to the Flounders meet this weekend? Well, it's going to be a lot like my last week prediction, where if we have the starting 11, I think that LAFC is going to win 2-1. to one. But if we have a rotated roster due to having to play players in the Conca Champions League match on Wednesday, I think that I could see us walking away with a tie. But ultimately, in my gut of guts, I say that LAFC is going to get a victory by hook or by crook. I love it. I don't think Kalini's going to play on the turf up there. So I think he probably plays versus Alajuelense and we probably have some combination of the remaining center backs in Seattle. I don't think that's enough to really give Seattle too much of advantage. They're a great team. They're a great team at home. We historically do not play well at that stadium, barring our, our, you know, our first ever game, but I wouldn't be surprised if a two, two draw either. I like that call. I would love to see the black and gold sneak one out 3-2. So I'm going to go ahead and call it 3-2 us. You can call the 2-2 tie. I'm done predicting losses for this team. I was so, so tragically wrong last time. And they outplayed even my wildest expectations. So now I'm on the bandwagon. I think we'll pull it out 3-2. Anything else to say to the fans before we call it quits, my friend? No, just go out, support your club, stay the full 90 Dress warm, or hopefully you dressed warm because this podcast has already been <laughs> replayed. 
go out, cheer, cheer your hearts out, and let's uh, let's go LAFC. We've never pre-recorded a pod for a game that hasn't happened that will come out after that game where we've discussed that game so heavily. So uh, I guess this is a perfect opportunity to see how full of it we are. But uh, folks, we'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening to episode 149. A massive shout out to our friend at KJR Seattle 93.3 FM. None other than Jackson Feltz for coming and joining us and helping us get all geared up for this weekend. Till next time. Take us home, Sticks. To shoulder, together this our culture. Fill the force up a supernova. Stay flying at FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.